0: good afternoon my friends happy wednesday the doctor is in the house welcome back to another episode of to your health with dr g on this great day celebrating emergency medical services week that's right y'all we're bringing it to you i'm so excited to have this episode here today we're going to be talking about our ems professionals and all that they do to safeguard The health of our country. I'm so excited to have everybody here today. Welcome back to another episode to Your Health with Dr. G. You're checking me out. Of course, here we're live in studio at Intellectual Radio. You're watching us here on Facebook. My panel is fierce today. You're going to meet them in a little bit. Check me out on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. I'm so excited. Emergency Medical Services Week. You've seen these people. The reality is that they truly are medicine's frontline experts from paramedics, to nurses, to emergency room doctors. These individuals have what it takes to make sure that our communities are safe. And guess what, EMS Week, it's all about highlighting that and acknowledging what they do. So I'm so excited to, to welcome everybody back to the show. We've got three great friends of mine who are who just, who just kind of encompass everything in professionalism and what they do and everything that they're trying to do to help safeguard the health of our community. So I'm so excited to meet them in just a p- few moments. But I tell you what, EMS Week, it's something that we should all know about. It's something that was created a long time ago. So actually in 1974, President Gerald Ford authorized Emergency, Service, Emergency Medical Services Week. And now here we are, 45 years later, and we're talking about bringing together local communities and medical personnel to honor the dedication of these individuals who provide the day-to-day life-saving services to our health and to our country. So this week it's all about you guys. So those of you who are out there listening to us and everything, use the hashtag EMS strong and show your support to our awesome, fierce, dynamic, professional and caring emergency medical services personnel. So I'm so excited. This is going to be great today. So what I want to do before we get into the show, of course, you know what I got to do, I got to hit you with a quick disclaimer. Here we go. The content of To Your Health with Dr. G is for informational and entertainment purposes only and that the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Further details can be found at www.toyourhealthwithdrg.com slash disclaimer. So here we are today on this great Wednesday in the middle of Emergency Medical Services Week. Today's theme actually is EMS for Children Day. This whole week it's been about acknowledging our frontline medical professionals and what they do. Each day of this week has a theme. I want to just quickly recap uh, Monday and yesterday. Monday's theme was EMS Education Day. Yesterday was Safety Tuesday. Today is EMS for Children Day. Tomorrow is Stop the Bleed Day. And Friday is EMS Recognition Day. And we're going to talk about some ways that I personally think that you can thank your EMS professional later on the show. But what I want to do right now is introduce you to my panel. So I'm so excited. So here we go. My panel today is dynamic. And I know I say that every week that my panel is And this time I really do mean it. I mean, I mean it every week, but I really do mean it that this panel today is excellent. So I want to introduce you to my guests. So I've got two guests today that are calling in. I have one of my guests here in studio. And you guys are going to hear about their story and what they do. So my first guest, I want to introduce my guest that's in studio. Uh, I've known her for quite some time now, a good friend of mine. We've work together. Um, uh, we sit in my office and chat and everything uh, about health, about life, and what she does. So I want to introduce uh, to the panel Nicole Hawkins. Nicole is a registered nurse and clinical supervisor, at Edward Medical Group. Check her out, www.eehealth.org. Nicole, welcome to the show. Hello,
1: I'm glad to be
0: here. Hey, I'm glad to have you here too. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, where did you do your nursing school and, and, and what you've done with emergency medicine as a nurse, as an ER nurse, and what does this theme of EMS week mean to you?
1: I graduated with my ADN at Julia Junior College. Um, from there, I actually did open hearts at Price for half of my career, I've been a nurse for 11 years, and then I've been in the ER for five years, and then I also do critical care transport on an ambulance. Um, EMS week is important to me because the, the, our paramedics and our EMTs are the first-line providers to give medical treatment before you come to me into the ER. They're very important. A lot of times they can treat patients and give life-saving treatment before they even get to us.
0: Excellent. Well, I'm so glad to have you on the show. Uh, and, I to, and and it, wasn't a, it was an easy ask, you know, cause I basically walked into your office and I said, Uh, Nicole, come on to your health with Dr. G, so that was an easy ask, so thank you very much for coming out today and taking time out of your schedule. I want to introduce my next guest. She and I go back to our days at Loyola Stritch School of Medicine, yes, and it's amazing because... (laughs) Actually, this year is our 15-year reunion of Loyola Street School of Medicine when we graduated in 2004, but I want to introduce you guys to my lifelong friend, medical school classmate. I want to introduce you guys to Dr. Jillian Schmitz. I want to read you her bio because her bio is deep and it is fierce. Uh, Dr. Schmitz is a board-certified emergency medicine physician, she's associate professor at Uniform Services, University of the Health Sciences. Check her out at www.usuhs.edu. And she's also National Board of Directors of the American College of Emergency Physicians. Check that out, www.acep.org. Dr. Schmitz, welcome to the show. Thank you, Myra,
2: for Dr. G. It's an honor and privilege to, to be here. And I'm so excited you're doing this, this topic. Oh, thank um,
0: you. you. Please go, go you right ahead. Been,
2: um, Yeah, the theme this year is is EMS Strong, Beyond the Call. And I think that's really a significant way to convey a really powerful message about EMS professions because EMS goes beyond the 911 call. Yes, EMS is about excellent patient care, but it's really so much more. It's about community care that takes time and energy and heart. Um, And as a board-certified emergency physician, I depend on these individuals to, to go to the scene, to make rapid diagnoses, to try and stabilize and get them to us as quickly as they can. And we salute EMS professionals who go beyond the call every day to create positive change in their communities with direct, long-lasting impact.
0: Excellent. Dr. Schwitz, why don't you give us a little bit about your, your training background? Obviously, I mentioned uh, that we were together at Loyola's School of Medicine. Where did you do your emergency medicine residency? And, uh, and how long have you been doing what you've been doing as an ER physician?
2: Yeah, so I trained um, for my emergency medicine residency at the University of North Carolina. And I've been practicing clinically as a board-certified emergency physician now for the last about 15 years. And then three years ago, I got interested in really having more of a broader impact and getting involved in in advocacy and and trying to pass some legislation that would benefit our patients and our healthcare system. So three years ago, I ran and got elected to the National Board of Directors for the American College of Emergency Physicians which represents about 40,000 emergency physicians across the country um, that fights every day for for patient care and access and and health education, and we so strongly believe
0: in this. Wonderful. Well, I'm so glad to have you on the show. I can't wait to uh, get into some of the questions and more details and pick your brain on some awesome ER topics very soon. So thank you again. I want to introduce my last guest. She's joining me on the phone as well, too. Also, just a just a dynamic individual, a good friend of mine. Uh, we're hopefully going to be doing some work together with the American Heart Association soon. But I want to introduce you guys to my good friend Danielle Cortez devito She is an emergency medical medical technician, paramedic, and emergency manager of disaster recovery specialists at. Federal Emergency Management Agency, known as FEMA. Check her out, www.fema.gov. Danielle, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm, it's a pleasure. And Please give us a little bit about your training, where you did your studies, and really what you think about today's theme, how it's so important to you.
3: I I did my paramedic training at Loyola, so while you guys are on the other side at Stritch Medical School, Loyola has a paramedic program, and I did my training there earlier in the 90s, and what this thing means to me, EMS Strong, when you look at the whole EMS and emergency medical services, it's really a circle of care. And this one patient that we have, um, they're getting the paramedics, they're getting the The emergency room nurse as well as emergency physician. So there's so much care that's going into this one patient, and it just highlights what we're doing. and I'm, I'm happy that I'm happy that I'm here, and that I can give and be of
0: service to to patients. Excellent. So, wow. So there you go, everybody. You met the panel today. They're just amazing individuals. They truly care about what they do. They truly have a passion in taking care of our communities. And I think that's one of the themes. You know, Each week on this show, we have some dynamic guests, and they really speak from the heart on what they do. They feel like they've truly been chosen to, to pursue this profession and are glad that they do what they do on a day-to-day basis. So now that you met everybody, what I want to do is, Uh, as a show works each week we have a have a question of the hour and today's question without a doubt we call it the chief complaint the chief complaint of course when somebody comes into your office or your healthcare setting or into the emergency room and you basically say why are you here what's going on so the chief complaint aka the question of the hour today on to your health with dr g is emergency medical services week is a time to recognize the efforts of ems practitioners who safeguard the health safety and well-being of our communities so who are emergency medical services professionals, and why are their roles so critical in our healthcare system? And I tell you what, I can answer that question I'll start it out and say, you know, without having my EMS uh, uh, brothers and sisters out there, I couldn't do what I need to do. Uh, The reality is that when when situations call that that are, that cannot be handled in the primary care setting, and certainly emergency situations we all are aware of, these individuals have the skill set They have the high degree of training to handle anything. And it's like anything and everything. And so I'm so grateful that they can help out with my patients and really finally, once once things are stabilized, pass the buck back to me and continue to move the health system together. So I wanna ask this first question to Dr. Schmitz. So let me ask you this. So, and I always like to ask you this question every every week of the show, but as a physician, I wanna ask you this question physician to physician. So here's my question. And it's more of a general question. What can we do in our, in our health? You know, you've seen health from all angles. What do we need to do better as a society to keep our health going in the right direction? What are your thoughts on that?
2: So, I think some of it is, is patient education, um, but a lot of it, as you pointed out, is, is access. And I think the thing that distinguishes emergency medicine is that we take care of anyone, anywhere, anytime. You know, we're open 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and we are fundamentally the safety net of the healthcare system. Um, And a lot of our patients don't have a primary care provider or they don't have insurance or it's 2 o'clock in the morning when they have their emergency and there's nowhere to go. Um, So I think utilizing and understanding the valuable service that emergency services provides is is really important. Um, And the second is is really education. And and nowadays, I mean, we just live in such a crazy world that you never know when and where an emergency is going to occur whether that's a forest fire you know, in California or some of the natural disasters or the mass shootings we're seeing across the country. It can happen anywhere to literally mm-hmm. anyone. Um, and having the, the skills to be able to acutely manage those seconds really matter. Um, and being able to utilize a, a 911 service to be able to get that help um, is vitally important. Mm-hmm. And I think most people don't realize that this system really didn't exist um, until the 1970s. If you look at kind of the old TV shows of, you know, emergency and, and different things, that ERs used to be staffed in a basement by people who were, you know, in their very beginning of medical training who weren't trained in emergency medicine. Um, there really was no protocol um, for how to, to take care of people, how to respond to emergencies of, of who went out. And, you know, I started my career actually as an EMT, and my very first call uh, was in college and we were in an ambulance with, with an address, there was no, no driveway. <laughs> You're literally in rural America driving up a mountain um, to somebody's house. And the amount of just respect I have for these individuals who are treating someone that they know nothing about, there's often you know, no history, no knowledge, the patient may not know their medical history and they may be unconscious. To be able to stabilize them, to start an IV you know, in the back of a, a rocky truck that's going 90 miles an hour, um, is just incredible and that we've developed uh, such a broad system it's a short period of time to address those emergencies and to try and expand that access to our entire healthcare system is really amazing.
0: Wow, thank you for sharing that insight. Danielle, I want to ask you this question. You know, you've been on the front lines and, and, and kind of echoing D- Dr. Schmitz, but you've really been in so many situations. How do you get yourself mentally ready for to expect the unexpected? Yeah, that's a great question, and
3: I think anyone who enters this field as a EMT or paramedic, you you have this inner sense of responsibility, and when you get a call, you can't turn that call down. You never know what you will get, and that's just what can happen in a twenty-four hour shift. You may get there at seven o'clock in the morning, and you get a call at. 7:15 7:15 for someone who is uh, displaying stroke symptoms. Later in the afternoon, you may get someone um, calling for a child that has fallen from a playground or a severe gunshot wound. So any of those things can happen. And as EMS professionals, as paramedics, we don't say, "I'm not taking that call." Um, it's just the opposite. Those individuals and, and my colleagues rush in and make sure that we give the care to those individuals. So um, I'm, I'm happy that I don't have to get ready for work. Um, you just you just are. So it's just something um, that happens.
0: Wow. And I think it takes a certain personality to do what all of you all do, um, but but also that drive. You know, we all want to do good work. And, and entering the healthcare profession, you truly do want to care for the next person and, and have that sense of community. And so let me ask this question to, to Nicole. You know, Nicole, you know, you often see the patient before the doctor sees the patient as an ER nurse. You know, how do you prepare yourself for that? Because the doc may not know, may not know what's going on unless the doc may have, may have heard something, but you, you usually examine the patient before the doc does.
1: Um, typically, depending on how busy the doc is, where I was an ER nurse, we had a pod system. So we had um, four nurses with um, usually about 10 patients and one physician. When we knew something bad was coming in, we would typically grab the physician. Um, so if there was a trauma, we would all be in the bay waiting, dressed appropriately. Um, but then other times we'd have people that walked through the front doors with a gunshot wound. So then, you know, they get rushed back to us. We, you know, we had standing protocols, so we'd do their IV, do the fluids, do everything until we could get the doctor. Um, But we worked really well as a team, our techs and our nurses, so we just kind of all did what we had to do. And then when the doc came in, would give us orders, but we handled a lot of stuff before the docs got in.
0: Um, Let me ask you a follow-up question. You know, here we are celebrating EMS week and recognizing what efforts that you all do. You know, why should the general public care about, about this week? Why is it important to you? I mean, we know why it's important to you, but why should it be important to others? Go ahead, Nicole.
1: Well, it should be important to the public because if when an ambulance is out of service, that's people that can't get to you and help you. So the, you know, the fire stations that are now laying off firemen and paramedics and the hospitals that are closing because they, for financial reasons, that's less people and equipment there to be able to take care of someone. So if you have a stroke and they just laid off a umpteen fire, firemen and paramedics, well, that's you gotta figure out now how to get grandma to the hospital and how are you gonna do that?
0: Well, wow. you know, Dr. Schmitz, you know, you you've done a lot with advocacy, uh, certainly at the American College of Emergency Physician level. You know, what happens from a physician standpoint, or from a, maybe even a system standpoint, if a hospital or or, or, or or a clinic doesn't have the resources to take care of patients? Nicole was just talking about some some facilities are closing. How do you? How does that then then affect the downstream? How does that get pushed on to maybe the next hospital? And what if that hospital doesn't have the right resources to to now take care of those patients? That's a great question.
2: So I think we're seeing that uh, around the country right now. The number of visits is increasing. We're up to 150 million ER visits across the country right now. Um, And with that, the number of hospitals are closing. So you have fewer and fewer places taking care of more and more people. And because our society is aging, we have the baby boomer generation who are getting older. We're seeing a, a longer prevalence of chronic disease people are sicker. There's a much higher acuity. And so there's more resources needed to take care of, of those individuals as well. Um, so it's really become to the point where it, it is a crisis. Um, and we have emergency departments and hospitals that are really overflowing. And that, that concept is called boarding when the hospital is completely full. And so we're trying to get through as many people as we can, actually, in the emergency departments. Uh, We try to minimize what we call diversion, which is when an ambulance is sent somewhere else because we're full. Um, It's really, we try to keep our doors open all the time to try and and get people the resources that they need. Um, But we do have a tiered system so that if you have a specific injury or a specific diagnosis, if the EMS provider is concerned about a stroke, to try and optimize their outcomes by getting them to a stroke center. Or if you're trauma, getting to a level one trauma center. Um, But oftentimes in, in the rural ED, you are limited with what resources you have. And I think those are really the true heroes of emergency medicine is using what limited resources you have to acutely stabilize those patients and try and address those growing healthcare needs. Excellent. I wanted to jump in
3: there too. Please go right ahead, Danielle. Um, I think it is crucial for citizens to be aware of the level of service that they have in their communities, their ambulance, their fire departments, as well as what's happening in emergency world. So, for example, um, there were several years ago, there was a mayor of a, of a town, and he fell, and he had a pretty bad uh, accident. Um, and the level of EMS, the ambulance that showed up, was a basic ambulance, so EMT. So they're able to do CPR, but not give medicine at that time. Um, and he had a significant issue. He actually needed a paramedic unit that could do use a defibrillator, to also give medicine, uh, to control pain. And there's a level of care that he needed that he did not get and had to had to wait for another ambulance to arrive, which had to d- delay treatment maybe six or seven minutes. And in a heart attack or a situation, in a trauma, that is crucial time. Uh, soon after that, once the mayor recovered, they hired paramedics. So that town has paramedics. Uh, a lot of people don't understand, like, okay, well, if I have a trauma, if if there's a gunshot, or if there's a car crash, or if I fall out of the window, where are they going to take me? Um, Am I going to the nearest hospital? Well, that nearest hospital may not be able to handle the emergencies that you have. You look at University of Chicago, and there were a lot of traumas that were happening in, in the neighborhood. At that time, you will see University of Chicago was only children pediatric. They would take trauma. But once the community got involved and said, this is what's happening in our neighborhood, we need an advanced care. We need a trauma surgeon here. And so two years later, University of Chicago is a trauma center. But I encourage the listeners to know, is this? do you have the equipment to handle? Uh, why is there a fire truck showing up instead of a ambulance? Well, the ambulance, you only have one ambulance in town and they be, may be working a cardiac arrest. So, what has shown up is you have a fire engine that shows up with two guys who are paramedics, and they're going to stabilize until the paramedics can get there. And then we start again the circle of care, transferring them to the nurse and then transferring them to the doctor.
0: That's
2: well, on that point. Yeah, go right ahead, please. Two is, um, the recognition of, of, of when to call 911. I think when you think you're having an emergency, you want to call for help. You don't want to drive yourself to the hospital. You don't want to throw your loved one in the car and, and take off for exactly those reasons. If the patients are, can be unstable, right? They can have a heart attack. They can pass out. They can seize. Um, so you driving is not the most efficient or safest way to get them there, and that is the value of EMS. Um, and it's more about care coordination. And we saw this in the, the Las Vegas shooting a couple of years ago, is, you know when people panicked and threw themselves in the car and drove places they're going to maybe what's nearest, but it's not necessarily a trauma center. It's not that it doesn't have the capabilities needed to, to do that higher level of care. So um, the, the, the really the beauty and the strength of EMS is that it, it not only has the, the ability to treat the patient appropriately and safely and do it on a monitor in a setting that's safe, but also has the communication between the whole healthcare system so we can figure out how many patients to anticipate, how many to expect, where to get them to go to where they need that level of care.
0: So something that that people can do right now is, is certainly to work with your local, your local village, your local town hall, and, and and find out what those resources are. You know, I want to ask this question. I'll ask this question right back at you, Dr. Schmitz. You know, what if somebody doesn't know what resources they have in their town? What's your thoughts on how somebody should go ahead and find that out?
2: So there's a couple different um, things out there. And I think it can be confusing for the layperson of what is an emergency room. You know, what is the urgent care? What is the primary care? Um, ASAC does have a lot of patient safety information, and I'll, I'll give you a website that we have. It's www.emergencycareforu.org. And that is the the, le- the letter Y-O-U um, and for you, not the number four, but the letters for you. Can you please repeat um, that, that,
0: that
2: link, website? Yes. Yeah, <clears throat> www.emergencycareforu.org. Thank you. And I can put that out to your listeners. And that has some tips on how you know when should you go to the ER to understand a little bit of the difference between ER and urgent care and learn how to prepare so that you're ready should an emergency occur. Um, but we really want to emphasize that if you're not sure or you think you could be having an emergency, the best thing is to do is to seek professional help and to go to the ER To or the urge on, on the side of being more cautious. And the reason we stress that is because we don't treat diagnoses. Their patients don't come in with a, a thing on their forehead that says, I'm having a heart attack. They come in with certain symptoms, um, and so oftentimes the most common thing that I will see is, is chest pain or abdominal pain, mm-hmm. and that could be anything from, you know, a, just a stomach bug to appendicitis or a ruptured ischemia of the gut, mm-hmm. um, and so it's not fair for patients to try to diagnose themselves, mm-hmm. and that is what we call the prudent layperson standard, um, which means that the prudent layperson or kind of common person with basic medical knowledge um, should be covered in an emergency and that is why we try to provide access and take care of, of any patient anywhere anytime because so much what we see is, is various chief complaints or concerns or illnesses when they don't know what it is. And oftentimes, you know, even as a board-certified physician, I don't know what the answer is until we do a thorough evaluation and testing to try and rule out those more significant or serious causes of injury. Uh, so when in doubt, call my to seek a higher level of care. Um, if you are 100% positive that it is just an ear infection or you have the flu or something else going on uh, there are alternatives and many places will have urgent care Some now are extending their hours um, as well as primary care offices but I think it's important to know what those differences are and and how they are staffed and what capabilities they have Um, and there is some variability but in general um, an urgent care is is not open 24 hours they may have an x-ray machine but generally not they don't have a cap scan or ultrasound a very basic uh, lab, like a pregnancy test or a flu test, um, where an emergency room is much more comprehensive. So we have ultrasound, x-ray, CAT scan. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have kind of more resources and, and board-certified physicians uh, to, to treat a broader range of uh, illnesses. Um, so those are the things, and we're open 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Um, so it, it can be challenging. I think it's important to know what options you have and, and where you can go.
0: I know, I always tell my patients, I say, if you have any questions at all, just ask me, and no questions off off limits. Uh, I want people to make sure they have the right answers, and ask your doctor, um, find out those resources. So I think there's a lot of community engagement that we we can do, we just got to do it. So I want to ask this question uh, here, you know, the reality is that emergency medical services is portrayed so commonly in pop culture and TV and everything. So I wanna ask this question to Nicole. Uh, Nicole, what you see on TV, is that really what you guys are doing?
1: Uh, No, the best show that actually kind of um, covers what we, actually I liked Code Black a lot because that was like um, being at Christ where anything you walk in the door, you have umpteen people coming in at the same time. You might have four gunshot wounds being at the same time. I liked that show that was a little bit more truer to what I do. A lot of what I did at the ER that I worked at last um, was a lot of uh, belly pains, chest pains. You know, I've had this cold for how many days? You know, is it pneumonia? Um, but it can be multiple traumas, multiple gunshot wounds. It's just, you don't know what's gonna come through your door in any minute.
0: Well, I wanna ask this question to Danielle. So so if somebody sees something on TV, again, we, we get a lot of imagery, we learn them, we, we internalize it and hopefully identify with it. How can we take like a captive audience and and really use that uh, from from media and then hopefully turn that into action in real life
3: well what i see with emts and paramedics there is one thing or the other it's either dumbed down so emts are dumbed down where um, we just give you one thing we just tell the doctor one thing this is what happened and that's it or it's very glamorized where you see the women who have their hair flowing oh, yeah. and, lost, and then <laughs> and then you know they've got their shirt down uh, you know you can almost see their bra. so um, I like to see that it was somewhere in, in between where is um, there there's some show I know there are a few shows out there and um, I've, I've had a chance to participate and and pretend to be a real paramedic on television which is um, um, kind of strange, but I was pretending to be a paramedic. But I'm a paramedic, um, and um, sometimes, the, sometimes the director will say, "Hey, um, hey, why don't you hold this?" And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the direction that he was giving me was not realistic. So if my colleagues see me doing something like that on television, they're like, "What are you doing?" Um, so as paramedics and EMS professionals. Um, we have to be. We have to write the narrative for that, and I think you'll see that coming soon. I know with some of the other shows, you have producers um, that
0: are following um, what actually is happening in the field. Dr. Schmitz, when you see some things on, uh, and I know again you're super busy, so I know you're not watching TV, just like me. I'm not watching. I'm tired of that kind of stuff. But but when you see some of the portrayal of, of emergency medicine physicians. Uh, in media on TV again, is that truly a reflection of what you do or or is it different?
2: No, I I agree a lot. You know, it depends on the show, but some of the more recent ones, Grey's Anatomy, I I find it somewhat comical to the point where I I can't watch it because, first of all, they're not even emergency physicians; they don't have surgeons or somebody else working in the ER. Mm -hmm. But somehow they're all having affairs with each other, and there's all these love triangles. And I I wish my life was that exciting, but unfortunately, that's not the reality of how we practice. But I I think that it's hard because that media really sets the standard expectation for the public. And you can either convey them as, as professionals and well-educated as they are, or it's all about drama. And one, and for instance, when they do CPR, you know, on TV, you, like, text the patient and they miraculously come back right. to life. And it, it gives the public this perception that CPR works when, right. you know, most of the time, it, unless it's really high quality, given early, the, the chance of survival is pretty low. Um, and it, it can be hard to undo those expectations when people come to the ER, you know, after something like that happens. Um, So I do think it's helpful when you have medical professionals giving input, Um, and as Danielle was saying, certain TV shows, I know um, ER back in the the 90s and early 2000s had people on the set who were actually nurses and physicians who who worked in the ER and could give kind of real stories, Um, but some of them are definitely inflated and and drawn more for, for critics and ratings, and they're more about the drama than they are about the actual science of medicine.
0: You know, I'm waiting for a show to come out on on basically life of an internal medicine physician who's outpatient-based only, but that hasn't come out yet. You know, that doesn't sound too too exciting. I don't know. So let me get into this section here. So I want to ask you guys some questions because I was like picking your brand and everything. We've been having this great discussion so far. You're listening here at Intellectual Radio. or watching us on Facebook. Um, But here's a statement. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say a statement, and then I want you guys to finish the sentence. So I'll kind of pick these. Uh, at random so i'll start with nicole so i'm going to say nicole here's a statement i want you to finish the sentence people have a much better chance of not ending up in the er if <laughs>
1: uh well my favorite thing is don't drink and then do crazy things afterwards
0: fair enough <laughs> i'm going to ask that same question to danielle here you go danielle people have a much better chance of not ending up in the er if Uh, there, there's so,
3: there's true so many things. There's, there's so many things but the, the CDC just released a um a a statistic today and they said 90 percent of heart disease can be prevented and heart disease is on the rise where it's preventable so if people if people watch what they put in their bodies
0: then I think we can prevent some things uh some visits to the emergency rooms Excellent, here you go, Dr. Schmidt, same thing. People have a much better chance of not ending up in the ER
2: if? I would say if they had access to timely care. And I think that's really the the problem is access. So 10% of our patients nationwide are uninsured, another 30 to 40% have Medicaid. Um, Many primary care doctors are not taking those patients or they're full or they can't get in. Um, And so their emergency literally becomes a place where they have nowhere else to go. Um, And I I think it's tough. I mean, you can take care of yourself and and so, you know, horrible things happen to to good people even who are trying and not making dangerous decisions. Emergencies can strike anywhere, you know, anytime. Um, So it's hard to know how to completely prevent that. Um, You can try to minimize your risk by taking good care of yourself. But I think having access um, is, is really critical in
0: getting preventative care. Excellent. Yeah, access and equity, that's something that we really had to improve on. It's been a theme of my shows for a long time. Here we go. Next statement, I'm going to come right back at you, Dr. Schmitz. Here we go. The one medical skill that everyone should learn is?
2: I would say hands-only CPR and the Heimlich maneuver. Mm-hmm. I think these are things that if someone collapses in front of you. Um, I've been on the plane four times when I hit that button, you know, there's a doctor on board, and... Mm-hmm. Luckily, the days that I were there, but you never know. Um, I had a colleague whose daughter choked about a week or two ago and literally turned blue and collapsed. Mm. Um, Having those skills where you know how to make a difference in seconds before 911 can get there is critically, critically important. Um, And I'll go on my my rant later, but we we have a a program we put in place called Until Help Arrives. And it's free, it's for the public, it's really just an hour. But it gives some basic education on how to provide kind of immediate stabilization until 911 gets there, um, and that is www.ready.gov/backslash until help arrives. Thank you. All right. www.ready.gov until help
0: arrives. Thank you, Danielle. Same statement here. One medical skill that everyone should learn is. I think everyone should learn
3: CPR and first aid. However, um, I was watching your show just a few months ago and ER physician Dr. Dura Wilson put something in my head which um, Stop the bleed campaign. So we have a lot of, unfortunately we live in a time where we have a lot of gun violence, we have a lot of school violence. um, And I would usually say first aid and CPR is something that everyone should know. Um, but we are now seeing
0: that Stop the Bleed is just as important and, uh, and that's, that's what I believe, Stop the bleeding First Aid and CPR. Thank you. Nicole, same thing, one medical skill that everyone should learn is, from your opinion?
1: I, I agree, it's CPR and First Aid.
0: Excellent. Alright, so I want to ask you guys, I just kind of want to switch it a little bit here, because the reality of what you guys do on a daily basis is, you know, we, again, as humans we have to, we feel, most of us feel, but we feel we have to internalize, we see things, you know, the stuff that you all see being the front line—you see anything and everything. So, I want to ask this question, um, honestly, to Dr. Dr. Schmitz: How do you mentally prepare for for that? But also, how do you kind of process that when things are over? I think that's one of the
2: toughest things that we do. Um, I can remember a shift I had a couple of years ago where we we lost a child. Um, and hearing that mom's just piercing mm-hmm. screams and having to talk to the family um, where I was just devastated mm-hmm. um, and trying the best I can to pull myself together. And then two seconds later, I have to go into the next room and, you know, introduce myself to somebody who's there for high blood pressure management and, and is yelling at me that I took too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to really keep that composure and, and to be able to kind of keep yourself together and, and approach the next patient um, we have a number of resources to kind of help our community internally and usually after a case like that we'll have debriefing sessions where people can kind of talk through their emotions of the case when there's time to kind of decompress. Um, there's also social media that's sort of closed to groups and emergency physicians to kind of deal with the emotions and with the raw, like charged things that we see in the ED. But it's tough and I think this is not just for emergency providers, it's for all healthcare providers that there's just a lack of of mental health resources and this is is definitely a niche. And as as others have pointed out, the issue of workplace violence is really escalating and I think um, our survey said that like 60 or 70% of emergency providers have been a victim of workplace violence. So whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, there's an assault on what we do every day And, and to be able to pick up and keep going can be really challenging.
0: Well, let me ask this question to Danielle. You know, Danielle, do do you think that, I mean, mean, we all know that we we go through this, even even when I see things in in the the clinic setting, uh, you know, I have to process that too. You know, but I feel like there's this kind of like don't say anything um, movement going on amongst healthcare practitioners where we're afraid to speak up or afraid to seek help for fear of retribution or for fear of, Potentially, you may be losing your license or for for fear uh, that it's going to be reported to the state uh, state licensing boards that you might be unable to practice because of a mental health challenge. How do we get more comfortable talking about this and saying it's okay to talk about this and end some of the stigmas for mental health uh, mental health for healthcare practitioners? There has to be a culture of
3: understanding and knowing that every time that you go to work, you have to be strong. And, and the thing this week is EMS strong. And we are really strong people, but I think we have to understand as healthcare professionals and as citizens and community and healthcare um, members, family, that we are just people too. And when you see um, something that happens in an emergency room, whether that could be an infant child that has been in a serious car crash, and then you go on to something else that affects you where you may see an elderly person who reminds you of your grandfather. Um, these things stay with us. These things stay with us as EMS professionals. And what's really helpful is people could understand it's okay to say that I'm okay. Um, there's peer supports for EMS provider, and, and there's been a lot of talk over, over the last year to say, hey, I need help, and I need help. I need to talk to someone and so now we're opening up uh, a, a group of individuals and health care providers where they can say, I'm hurting and I just need to talk and people just listen. But I think it's very difficult because the public will come to everyone who's on this panel and say, oh, what's the worst thing you've ever seen? Mm-hmm. And that's something that you don't want to do because you don't want to know the worst thing that I've seen because... You can't handle it, mm-hmm. so we have to really understand that there's many things that we see, and we have to come to care professionals and our emergency medical services professionals, um, and just be kind to them because um, we they're having a rough day, mm-hmm. whether they're on or off. You know these these vision these um what we've seen, it, it doesn't go away, and and both the other. Um, Professionals on the panel can, can, you know, they can say the same thing. The, the faces don't go away. And so we just really have to have a culture
0: where everyone is accepting and, and we don't have to be so strong. It's okay to be human. Well, that, that you know, you're, what you're talking about again of us having, uh, being able to process things, but also being comfortable. And so you're right, it's the culture. And I think by doing some of this and having this free conversation with everybody right now is a way for us as professionals, it's almost like a little bit of a cartharsis catharsis for us but but we want to make sure that that everybody's able to talk you know the great thing about a lot of us what we do it's team-based care and you do have that 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 rapport with your with your with your teammates uh, that you can also understand each other but even though we may have that network others out there may be struggling to have that network to find that network and so I'm glad that we're having this conversation uh, but it also gives gives people understanding you know we are you know physicians nurses uh, EMTs, we're people too. And, and we get sick, we see things, and so we need to, but we all have to be more comfortable talking about this. So I wanna lead this into the next next section here really quickly. You know, at no other time in history have we been exposed to more heightened threats. Uh, you know, and this is real talk, you know. Uh, we, we think about mass shootings, school shootings. You know, these are things that touch us as people. Um, and, and it should touch us as people. But we have to try to teach, I mean our kids are growing up in this era that we didn't have to grow up in, and so how do we, as parents, as professionals, how do what are we teaching our children to keep them safe? I'm going to ask that question to Dr. Schmitz.
2: I remember vividly watching on TV after the whole Sandy Hook massacre occurred, and you know my kids were about the same age, a little bit younger, and just how how terrified I am as a civilian, but just as a as a parent, and how do you approach those conversations and I have, have two small children now, and they do regular school drills when they talk about, you know, how do you hide behind a desk, how do you fight back, and I'm like, how, how am I having this conversation with my 8-year-old, like, where do you even
3: do you start,
2: start there, um, but that is the, the reality, unfortunately, that we live in today, um, and a lot of it is, is educating people of, of how to act, and um, tourniquets and then talking about save the bleed or stop the bleed has been um, a really life-saving intervention and so um, I actually bought a tourniquet. I have one in my car um, just because you never know where you're going to be if I'm on the side of the road, someone has an accident I carry one in my bag. Um, people can purchase those also through the Until um, Health Arise to be able to have um, that in place. We have some public health outreach where uh, we can have uh, people and the emergency personnel come lecture to a school or church or a um, different kind of public format to discuss um, how to handle those situations and, and how best to protect yourself and, and to intervene immediately until 911 can get there. But it, it is it's a very sad world that we live in that we have to have those conversations. but um, until we find a more definitive management for this, I think um, educating even our children on that there's bad people out there and bad things happen and, and we have to be prepared and
0: to be able to process what is going on around us. Thank you. Danielle, as, a, as an emergency preparedness strategist, how do you kind of approach the situation and educate people about some of the realities or the threats that are out there? I, as we speak, I'm in the Center for Domestic Preparedness, and this week we had this um, emergency
3: preparedness symposium. And what, we, what I've come from, what I've understood is individuals have to be aware of their surroundings. Um, and it goes back to that saying, if you see something, say something, and we have to be under we have to know where our exits are. Um, everyone is in their phones or they're talking to someone else, and this can be a distraction when it is time. if something happens, we be, need to be able to go to the exit. We need to be able to teach our children, if the fire alarm goes off, what are you doing? Um, and to have certain cold words, so you and your family or you're with your friends that this is a real-life emergency. I'm not just kidding. So we have to uh, take our faces from our phones
0: um, and be in the world so we can see what's happening around us. Excellent. Well, thank you for that insight. Well, what I want to do right now, I want to get into something that we do each week uh, on this show. And again, this shows about build, building trust and delivering truth and really what I want to do is, is set the stage on my myths versus facts. Uh, and this is something that we do each week on TRF with Dr. G. And so I want to set the record straight because there's a lot of falsehoods out there. And I always wanted to do this certainly around, centered around emergency medical services we can get Here we are here today talking about the excellent and amazing work that our EMS professionals do. But let's set the record straight. So here we go. Nicole, first statements to you. You're either going to say myth or fact. Maybe give us a one or two sentence uh, response to it. So here we go. All right, Uh, here's a statement. Emergency departments are valuable to communities and are a central part of the medical neighborhood. Myth or fact? Fact. All right, please explain.
1: Um, Just like Dr. Schmidt said, it's sometimes people don't have primary cares or they're... It's 2 o'clock in the morning, we're the the only thing that's open 24-7 to be able to give you care for your emergency.
0: Excellent. Here we go, Dr. Schmitz. Here we go. Myth or fact, here's a statement. Emergency departments are crowded because people abuse the system by seeking care for minor problems.
2: So that's a myth, and that is a big myth that is out (laughs) there and it's
0: false. Triple myth. Please explain. (laughs)
2: So the CDC data from 2015 showed that less than 5% of emergency department visits were not urgent or emergent. Um, Oftentimes people come because they don't have access to care, um, but that doesn't mean they weren't having an emergency or couldn't potentially have an emergency. It's easy to say after the fact that that chest pain was just indigestion, Um, but those same same signs and symptoms could have been a heart attack or a blood clot or something else. And so, again, it's not fair to, to make that statement after the fact. Um, And so it's important that people have the opportunity to be evaluated prospectively. um, And it is absolutely a vital system to our community. And it is not abuse of the system. It's people using their own current layperson standard
0: and protecting themselves and their loved ones. Thank you. Here we go, Danielle. Myth or fact, here's a statement. A mandatory rule of cardiopulmonary resuscitation is to provide mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Ah, Great question. Mm -hmm. I'm just
3: the person to answer that. Mm -hmm. All right, so in 2012, um, so I'm going to say myth. Okay, thank you. In 2012, the American Heart Heart Association released the hands-only CPR. So anyone that sees a teen or adult collapse, you can go ahead and do hands-only CPR. Your breaths should be used for your infants, and your healthcare providers are also going to use breaths. They may not use mouth-to-mouth, but they're going to use some type of device where they're going to give breaths. It's a bad valve mask or some type of option. So you do still need breaths, but um, for our lay people, we want if you see someone collapse, a teen or adult,
0: give hands-only CPR. All right, thank you. Here we go. Myth or fact, here we go. Nicole, as the population ages, the need for EMS care will increase. Fact. All right, please explain.
1: Um, as the as we age, people are sicker and sicker. We need more medics. We're going to need more e- bigger ERs because these people are coming in, even though they have primary cares, they are still very very sick by the time they come into us.
0: Yeah, and I'll piggyback on that. One. In the age of chronic, rising chronic disease burden mm-hmm. in this country, uh, uh, there's no doubt that the use for EMS is going to be there. That's why we talked about at the beginning. We talked about what can we do to create more equity, access, and make sure that everybody has a chance for a successful and long lasting health. Dr. Smith, here we go. Myth or fact, here's a statement. The majority of emergency department patients are uninsured. Myth. Please explain.
2: So 10% of patients nationwide are completely uninsured. Um, another 30 to 40% are Medicaid. And we are the only specialty who don't ask if people have insurance or not. We take care of anyone, you know, regardless of their ability to pay. It's our privilege to do so.
0: Yes.
2: Um, but there are some county hospitals who they may see a majority of uninsured patients, but, but nationwide um, there's a, a pretty big diversity of, of payers and where they come from and, and who pays for the health care.
0: All right, thank you. We'll do a couple more of these. Here you go, Danielle. Here's a statement. Myth or fact? All right. EMS practitioners are dedicated to improving everyone's access to emergency care. Fact. Please explain. Big EMS fact. EMS
3: professionals are the people on the front line. And if, you, if we start to see more patients, um, traditionally you may have 20 calls in a 24 hour time frame. Uh, and we don't want to feed people, we don't want to feed the same people over and over. So um, it would be best if we can reduce those numbers by having community, community engagement as well as community education and reducing that number. So they are definitely de- dedicated. All
0: right, thank you. Here you go, Nicole, do a couple more of these. Here we go. The emergency department sees patients on a first-come, first-served basis. Myth or fact?
1: Myth. It is <laughs> raw, not the deli line. are all laughing at the same time, by the way. It is not the deli line. You do not get to pick a number and get seen by your number. It is life-threatening emergencies
0: first. I like how you said it's not the deli line. That's that, that that's definitely a first one to your other, Dr. G. So thank you for answering that one. That's a triple myth. Here we go, Dr. Schmitz. Here we go. Here, myth or fact? I can get all of my primary care services in the emergency department, and that means, and I'm talking about primary care services, I'm trying to, turn to, not trying to throw a, a, a twist at you, but mammogram, col- uh, colonoscopy, all that kind of stuff. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> With an exclamation point.
2: Um, the emergency department is not a substitute for, for primary care physicians, so we don't have access to things like mammograms or colonoscopies or oftentimes MRIs. Um, and there's certain medicine and science that I'm not trained to do. I don't have the same relationship as, as someone who has that ongoing relationship. So it is important for acute, unscheduled care, but not a substitute
0: for primary care. Thank you. We'll do one more for you, Danielle. Here we go a myth or effect. Someone says in public, Great, there's a doctor on the scene. We're all going to be fine. I'm
3: going to say miss because that doctor may be a podiatrist <laughs> and may not have taken any CPR or any classes or he, we don't know if this person is really a doctor. So I'm going to say <laughs> miss. I like that
0: one. You're like, you know, you don't ever I, see I I a to doctor. See, I want to see your,
3: yeah, I want to see your medical license.
2: <laughs> I remember when I responded to a code on the airplane, it was like, you know, five people hit their button and we're all running through and. They're, they're kind of asking the stewardess, well, who are you, who are you, and there was, yeah, like a dentist and a podiatrist, and then when I was like, oh, I'm an emergency physician, everyone, like, ran. Like, they just dispersed, like, oh, thank God, and they all took off. Um, <laughs> but even then, it depends if you're in your element or not. Like, on an airplane, I realized I didn't have my stethoscope, I didn't have an EKG machine, I didn't even have a, a glucometer to check someone's blood sugar, so, just having a physician um, isn't necessarily indicative of being able to treat all ailments. Um, it's helpful to have someone with the some medical knowledge, but it really depends on the resources and the instruments and the care that you have to the ability to provide that care.
0: Excellent. Well, that was a great bits versus facts, everyone. So here we go. We got about five minutes left, and this has been just great discussion talking about the importance of what EMS professionals do each and every day to safeguard the health of our communities. So I want to wrap things up. So I want to do. I want to do this. We talked in the beginning the chief complaint we talked about uh who are our ems uh practitioners and why are they important to what they do uh, when somebody is set to leave our practice we call it the assessment and plan we give them a diagnosis give them a, give them a, a treatment plan and of course most importantly a follow-up without a got gotta follow up with your doc uh, so i want to bring this on home so i'm gonna start with nicole nicole give us give us a few take-home points for our listeners when it comes to today's theme of ems week what should they be taking away from today's conversation oh, you would me that one <laughs> everybody's getting that question so the guys y'all on the phone can prepare for that too but <laughs> well, what's important uh-huh. for people to know about what what you do
1: it's important to know that um, we are important um, that we are people the, the biggest thing i would see in an emergency room is be, be nice to your providers, be nice to your nurses. I know that you're there for an emergency, but so is everybody else. And some people may have more life threatening that may take more of your physician's time and your nurse's time. And just try to be respectful of that. Just like Dr. Schmidt said, you can walk out of a room and coat a kid and you have to go right into an ankle pain that's screaming at you. And just kind of remember that. And for since I work on an ambulance as well, also people need to get out of the way and pull over on an ambulance. Do not cut us off, pull in front of us, or a semi-truck
0: around us. Oh, my gosh. We didn't even get to that, but that's that, that's that's a whole other... I'm pretty sure Danielle's probably got some great stories of, like, people move out the way. Um, all right, but well thank you. It's been, it's been my pleasure, Nicole, having you on the show today. I want to ask the same question to Danielle. You're up next. Give us a few take-home points for our listeners when it comes to the importance of today's theme of EMS Week. I think the listeners should
3: really
0: understand what
3: did their local community provide? If they have basic EMTs, if they have paramedics, what does your local hospital have? Um, it's easy just to call and to ask, uh, and they can explain it to you. And once you have that understanding, I think it's important to just also, um, like other uh, nurse sets, be kind to the individuals. You don't know what they've seen. And the other thing is don't pick them for don't pick them for you know, the worst scenarios that they've ever had because you don't know what we've seen. And, um, and we don't really want to relive it.
0: We just want, really want to have good things happen in our lives just like everyone else. Excellent. Well, thank you. And, Danielle, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, so thank you for your insight and everything. Don't hang up. All right. Dr. Schmitz, bring it on home. Give us a few take-home points for listeners out there about the importance of this week uh, for EMS Week.
2: Yeah, so my three take on points would be, number one is public education. So you've heard us talk about first aid, hands-only CPR, stop the bleed. Get online, do a course, um, look at Until help Arrives. It has really great kind of topics and bullet points on how you can learn how to do this and how you can intervene, because seconds matter. And you might be the one who's going to be the first one to respond to an emergency. Um, two is health literacy, so knowing when to call 911, understanding the differences between primary care, urgent care, emergency departments, and what they can they can do. And three, is, as everyone has mentioned, is recognizing how tough a job this is, and as a shout out to all the, the EMS workers that are out there, It's truly salute their efforts of going beyond the call and to create positive change in their communities. It's a tough job being able to, to work 24 hours and night shifts and holidays and weekends and be able to turn it on and turn it off but i also think it's unbiased but, but the best job out there it is such a, a unique opportunity to work with patients in our most vulnerable period and have that uh, potential to, to save a life or to make a life different and to ease the burdening of, of suffering and pain and i am so, so privileged that you discussed this topic today dr g thank you so much for having us
0: hey you bet it's been my pleasure reconnecting with you again dr schmitz this is awesome don't hang up yet so here's my final thoughts You know, we're having this conversation today, we're talking about the importance of what people that provide life-saving efforts, what they do on a day-to-day basis. But this conversation cannot end today, it should not end this week, it should not end this month. This should be a daily conversation to thank those that help us out in our time of need. You know, health can be complicated, health can be scary, we all want the best of our own health. But remember, there are people out there that will truly take care of you. First things first, start out with finding a very good primary care physician. He or she will keep you on your pathway to wellness. The reality is that with our emergency medical professionals, they do amazing things and they want to get you to stay healthy too. They're going to stabilize you. They're going to treat you with kindness and compassion. They're going to direct you back to your primary care physician. So make sure that you can continue to, 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 to really help each other out. I want this to be my final word. I want to say this, you know, thank an EMS professional today. Uh, if you see someone at the store, if you've seen the firefighters uh, parked out, uh, walk by at this fire station. If you just go into the ER, thank a nurse, see a paramedic, thank a paramedic. The best thing to do is to keep this conversation going for another 45 years, mm-hmm. if not longer. So again, happy EMS week. Remember the hashtag EMS strong. So what I want to do is I want to thank my guest today, Dr. Jillian Schmitz. Board certified emergency medicine physician, associate professor at Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences, and National Board of Directors, of American College of Emergency Physicians. Danielle Cortez-Devito, emergency medical technician, paramedic, and emergency manager of disaster recovery specialist at FEMA. And Nicole Hawkins, I'll see you tomorrow in the office, Nicole. All good, registered nurse and clinical supervisor at Edward Medical Group. So you guys have been listening and watching live on Facebook and intellectualradio.com. This episode is written by Mark D. Gomez, MD, and Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Producer is Tiffany E.R. Gomez. The music is by the wonderful Mr. Havis, copyright 2019, by MDG Wellness, LLC, All Rights Reserved. Stay tuned for my next episode in two weeks. Yes, I'm off next week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two weeks. The title is Countdown the Summer, Part 1, Last Minute Beach Body Prep. Check this out. If you enjoyed today's show, please be sure to like and share it on social media. Audio replay is available on your favorite podcast app. Simply search for To Your Health with Dr. G, subscribe, and press play. Don't forget to check out my e-commerce store on my website, www.drmarkgovins.com, to get some awesome To Your Health with Dr. G swag. Let's keep this health revolution going strong. See you next time. Peace out.